As you sang all of those songs, what did you sing? What did God say to you? What did you say back to God? And all these things, sometimes we just run through them because we happen to know them. But as we do that, think about who we were singing it to. Well, that one there is coming here in a minute. (laughs) But there's a lot of things that we sing in these songs that many times we just kind of whooping on through them and go to the next one or not. And I just challenge all of us to look at the words that are there and the messages that those words give to us. And we can take those with us, not only in this day and this afternoon, but all through the week and to the next worship service you may find yourself in, as whether, whether it's in here or uh, across 32 miles to Beaver Island or whatever it might be. And we just get those things in our hearts and our minds, and we know that Jesus is with us all the way. So I'm, I'm not going to preach on that tonight or today, but it's going to be on that. <laughs> There's many things that we can learn just on these these short verses and short places that go along with us. What I'd like to do this morning now is is continue on in John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. It's a New Testament version. John testifies about Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen people. And I'm going to take you on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Patty and I <laughs> and a host of other people went to Israel in, in the year 2000. And these things that we read, I just read to you and many, many more in, in the God's Word just blew our socks off. And, <clears throat> and there was th- four other pastors besides myself that were on that trip and, and many others he said, any of them says, well, anybody want to be baptized? And believe it or not, we have 19 of us, and Patty and I were the only two who chose to go in, into the river where it is known that John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ. And this whole thing about the Spirit come down, <clears throat> and I mentioned my, my bride, I thought she was going to plumb drown. I mean, God got a hold of <laughs> God got a hold of her, and there was more than just one or two people who had to go back and bring her up on the shore, which was, it was, it was fantastic. I, mean, I, I highly recommend, if you haven't been there, uh, take a trip. <laughs> Israel's a fantastic place most of the time. They're happy with each other and sometimes not. 
But at the same time, you can be absolutely blessed by going to, the, going to Israel and seeing what God has in order for all of us. John's disciples followed Jesus. <clears throat> the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon just in case I didn't say that right. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. How many of us do that? We choose to spend a day with Jesus? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that John had said what he had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. <coughs> Excuse me. This morning's message is structured around the theme of mission and evangelism. It focuses first on us, that of our introspection. Do we have Jesus? And then that ultimate question all of us want to deal with, are you, are we, bringing others to Jesus Christ in the right way. May this message challenge all of us to be his ambassadors no matter where we find ourselves. The title of this message, which I think you have seen up behind me, Who Was Billy Graham's Sunday School Teacher? I'll get my notes out of my way. Five-year-old Brian's mom... had just given birth to a bouncing baby brother. He replied, uh, his kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Jones, asked Brian what he thought of his little brother. <laughs> and he replied rather matter-of-factly, well, there was a whole lot of other things we needed worse. Nothing like a five-year-old, you know. 
Indeed, sibling rivalry has been a part of every generation, and that is what makes this morning's scriptural account about a humble young man named Andrew so amazing and memorable. And Andrew is going to teach us what the journey of the Christian life is really all about. And as we hear this account, let us take stock of our own faith in standing before God. As we hear this account, let us take stock of our own faith standing before God. It is good for all of us to do this from time to time. I would submit that the journey of the Christian life begins with investigation, and we begin this, this morning with Andrew and some of his friends gathered around the, <clears throat> John the Baptist, listening eagerly with great captivation as he describes his baptism of Jesus of Nazareth. You ever think about that? There's a number of persons, I'd have to take a gander see, but there's a number of persons here <clears throat> that do minister in the uh, prisons up north across the, across the pond, I'll say. And a number of years back, I spent 12 years doing it with a lot of other persons, <clears throat> and uh, they wanted, some of them wanted to be baptized, or 17 of them wanted to be baptized, and so we made work of doing that. And being the old farm boy, I bought a <coughs> cow tank and brought it up there. <laughs> and uh, they, <coughs> they let us use that tank. And I never have seen such cold cotton picking water. It comes right out of the wall. <laughs> and the real thing that really got, got most of us as we got, we would, we would baptize them and we'd dip them in the water and we would bring it up. And this only goes to the first time. And from there on, I learned more. But... They get it. They would stand up, and we would just stand there beside them because we just had baptized them, and they would they would they would hug us. Well, you can imagine what a soaking wet man does hugging the other another man, and we definitely learned to take extra clothes the next time it went up there. But it was a blessed thing. It still is. Any time we go up, and of course we haven't been able to go up for two years because of COVID, but there is some light on the, on the horizon that we might be able to go up and minister once again. I would submit that the journey of the Christian life begins with investigation. We begin this morning with Andrew and some friends gathered around John the Baptist, listening eagerly with great captivation as he describes his baptism of Jesus of Nazareth. In John chapter 1, 29, <clears throat> the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me and I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his t testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize Jesus with water told me. The man on whom, who's telling you those kinds of things is what God would have of us as well, and vice versa. And then John gave that testimony. I saw that spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remained on him. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And in this age of church growth theories and strategies, I would, cla- it, I would classify Andrews as having a distinction uh, between the first seeker. And this p- early part of the first century A.D. is a time of great spiritual unrest and upheaval. And, and all around, prophets were foretelling the coming of the Messiah. How are we doing on that? Andrew has been struggling with a lack of meaning and a lack of purpose in his life. He has come to the banks of the Jordan River to hear this fiery, eccentric preacher known as John the Baptist, hoping to find some truth to anchor his wandering soul upon. You're going to get tired of me saying that, but how are you doing on that? Instead, John points Andrew and his friend to the Nazarene. Behold, here is the Lamb of God you are searching for, John tells him. Andrew has come with a heart filled with an innate curiosity. He is open-minded and open-hearted, looking to investigate in a new direction in his life. Yes, curiosity may kill the cats, but it leads to life for beginning believers. In some Protestant denomination, this is what is called prevenient grace. Provenient grace is that grace that goes before us, that movement of God's Spirit that causes us to yearn for things divine. And I don't know how many of you have known of the Emmaus community where we study a lot of different things on that as well as going in and out of the prisons (laughs) that got to be known as the hound dog of heaven. God is after us. He wants us. The sad part, though, is that most of us sublimate. We forego this spirit-inspired curiosity once we get past our teenage years. We stop investigating and stop exploring and delving deeper into the mysteries of our faith and, and we become satisfied that the status quo that is until some hardship, some mysteries, some tragedy befalls us 
and we painfully discover that our spiritual resources are not enough to help us deal with the hardcore reality. Well, let's see what Andrew does with his curiosity. Inasmuch as the Christian life begins with investigation, investigation then leads to introduction. In 1 John 1.37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they found Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock. He says, come and see. Andrew takes a long jump of faith, and he spends the day with Jesus. He's introduced to the Lamb of God, God's Son incarnate. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall listening to what their conversation was all about? I wonder what it is like. And did Jesus spend hours lecturing Andrew and his friend on that finer nuances of the messianic teachings? Or did Jesus tell me about your life, your family, your livelihood, your dreams, your aspirations? What are you searching for? I really do expect more of the latter than of the former takes place here. And and as Andrew spends time in the presence of Jesus, he becomes a changed man. Don't let that slip you by. A new creation. A person of new direction. A person of new tomorrows. Here it is again. How about you? Have you been introduced to Jesus? Have you spent much time at his house lately? Jesus invites us over, but we say, Love to. Can't do that right now. Places to go and people to see, but count me in. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to check my calendar, and then I'll get back with you. Duh. But we really must make a point of it. You get the idea. I need more eyeballs. I'm losing my place. You've probably heard me say this before. Leave room in your day planner... For Jesus to surprise the bejeebies out of you. Of course, it might be that we don't know the directions to Jesus' house so that we can be introduced to a meaningful relationship with him. Here is what I have managed to pull off of a map quest. <laughs> Jesus lives where the poor are. Trust me, he lives in the prisons. So, if you are looking for Jesus, you will find him where folks are distributing food at the food pantry. 
and building homes for habit for humanity and are doing such things as that. And, and Jesus also lives where the children and youth are, for they are special people in the kingdom of God. And they need teachers and they need mentors who will spend time with them. And Jesus lives in, with those who have no one to love them. Shut-in folk, nursing home patients who have been put away and forgotten with nothing more to cling to than their fading memories. I can personally attest to the fact that Jesus lives with those in prison walls, common criminals, those who have assumed the position imposed upon them as the scum of society, and who for the most part have chosen to forget where they are. And although there may be steel bars prohibiting freedom of movement, Jesus resides in the hearts of many. And he has granted to them a freedom on the inside that no one can take away. Jesus lives in the community of faith where worship and study have taken place and where people lift up God and dare to relate to one another in small groups as they encounter and explore his word and get hold up on the world of power and prayer. Yes, if you're sincerely looking you will meet Jesus in such places as these. And he will wrap his arms around you and redeem you and give you life that is most eternal, the same life he gave to Andrew. A tourist was visiting an ancient church in a small town in Germany, and he was surprised and puzzled to see the carved figure figure of a lamb near the top of the church's tower. He walked by it, was there, and was told that when the church was being built, a carpenter fell from a high scaffold. His co-workers rushed down expecting to find him dead, but to their surprise and joy, he was alive and only slightly injured. And how in the world did he survive? Well, it was a flock of sheep passing beneath that tower at the same time, and he landed on top of a lamb. The lamb broke his fall and was crushed to death, but the man was saved. And, And to commemorate that miraculous event, Someone carved a lamb on the tower at the exact height from where the carpenter fell. And in this most precisely, is this not precisely what Jesus, the Lamb of God, has done for you and me? Have we landed on a lamb lately? We find ourselves free-falling into sin and lostness, but 
he comes to break our fall, offering himself upon a cross that we might be saved. Have you accepted the grace-laden gift? Have you met Jesus? Andrew is introduced to Jesus, and this introduction leads him to invitation. In 1 John 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed him. The first time Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell first time what he did is he found his brother Simon (laughs) and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Yes, Andrew finds the genuine article in Jesus, and he comes away from this particular encounter with a burning desire to share what he has experienced with others. How are we doing on that? And he becomes the first evangelist. He runs and locates his brother Simon, that crude, belligerent, impulsive fisherman. Simon has never seen his younger brother in such a tizzy over something. And Simon is caught up in Andrew's excitement, and nothing will do except for Simon to come along with Andrew and be introduced to Jesus Christ. And when Simon meets Jesus, his testimony His destiny, as well as ours in the church today, Simon has never seen that younger brother. And nothing will do until he has accepted and saw him. Andrew be introduced to this Jesus fellow. And when Simon meets Jesus, his destiny, as well as ours in the church today, is forever changed. For the eyes and the heart of that crude, belligerent, impulsive fisherman, once again named Simon, Jesus sees a foundation of Petros, Peter, rock upon which he will build his church. And where would the Christian faith in the church be today if Simon had not met Jesus? Where would we be if a caring man named Andrew had not had the burning desire to introduce Simon Peter to Jesus? But that's who Andrew is. Andrew is a humble man and whose greatest joy is found in bringing others to Jesus Christ. We see him in John 16 bringing a little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus, and minutes and miracle later, multitude has been fed. We see Andrew in John 12 bringing a group of inquiring Greeks to Jesus, and good news reaches, now hear this one, good news reaches the Gentile world. Having found the friendship of Jesus, Andrew will spend the rest of his life introducing others to Jesus' friendship. Who has been Andrew in your life? 
who are you being an Andrew to someone else? You know, it's very interesting to get a little older and take the time and enjoy a reflection of where you have been, all of those who had influence in your life. And I know I share some of that this morning, but as is true in everyone's life, there is more. 1963, Paul Krause came to Ellsworth, and over the years with his nurturing and his encouragement, I owe a lot to him. He led, he nurtured, he fed me with <clears throat> from high school. We kept in touch throughout that ugly conflict, Vietnam War, and, and by the grace of God, I stand before you today. I know that his prayers to God Almighty, as well as many others, saw me through that difficult period of time. When I returned, we kept in touch, especially when I needed to be picked up and guided once again. He would many times say, God's got something in store for you today, Gene. But what? Just stay close to him and he will show you. Many years and experiences later, I begin to get a picture. I'm kind of slow, you know. And God reveals himself to us what he would have us do with him. And as you can tell, I had a great deal of respect for this man of God. He was able to talk about Christ to me and anyone else and everyone else he met in a casual, non-threatening manner. And he introduced many young people to Jesus Christ. And Paul used to have this saying, When I die, I'm going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to put his arm around my shoulder and tell me, Paul, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you are here. But then Jesus is going to look over and pass my shoulder, and he's going to say, Hey, Gene, who did you bring with you? <clears throat> I have no doubt that all of us will be asked that same question. Who did you bring with you? And like Andrew, we never know whose life and whose future we are impacting by the invitation we may issue today. Have you ever wondered who Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher was? She said, no doubt, must have been a saintly woman who made it quite a faith imprint upon his life, and, and the fruits of her witness ultimately changed the destiny of thousands upon thousands of lives throughout the world, and we don't even know her name. But you can see that God does. 
Andrew issues an invitation to his brother Simon, and as they say, the rest is history. You never know what might impact your invitation to meet Jesus is going to have on to do. And yes, if our investigations, and I'm sorry, investigation Christ claims has led to be introduced to him personally, then we ought to be about the joy of issuing invitations to others he meets. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our family members, and that last group, family members, is perhaps the toughest of all. At least it is for me. And although my brothers and sisters and I were brought up in a Christian home back on the farm, we all have different ways of responding to that. Some do not attend church at all anymore, and others sporadic, and, does that, and that does grieve me at times. I've struggled over the years as to what to say to them. I'm the baby in the family, and they have always looked a bit askance at me, especially since I have chosen to serve the Lord in this particular capacity. And when we get together, we talk about sports, the weather, work, and other superficial things, but we rarely ever mention God and faith and the church. Sometime later, about a year ago now, my brother was to have some radical surgery. He was chosen, he has chosen not to have much to do with the rest of the family. And, and in fact, that had not spoken to, and he had not spoken to me in over four years. And I'd been back from Vietnam in over six years. The timing was such that I was headed for the Straits Correctional Facility Prison up in Kenross the following day for ministry. And with the Gentile encouragement of my loving wife, Patty, I made the trip to Traverse City to see him in the hospital. And although the visit was awkward, we talked about his physical condition about some humorous, thing, humorous things as well. He could tell more jokes than I'll ever know. Sometimes later, I stood up to leave and I asked if I could pray with him on the upcoming surgery, and he said, yes, that was fine. I did. I prayed for his surgery, his family, and the medical staff. I also prayed for the spiritual condition of all, and I can assure you, as difficult as that was, I was blessed through that obedience. They thanked me for coming, and I quietly left the hospital and headed for Kenross, Michigan. I know God's grace-filled presence was in that hospital room that day. <clears throat> and I know that though God's persistent knocking at his heart, God's presence will be with my brother then and now, and maybe someday he will answer, Yes, Lord. Not long ago, 
after my brother passed away and I was asked to be a part of that funeral service. One of the most difficult things I've ever had to do, even killing other people in some other country. And I also know that God is so good. God is so good all the time. Times in my life. And as I close this morning, I ask you to ponder and wrestle with these questions I'll present to you for challenge and for action as you depart. Number one, is God's spirit prodding to in, prodding you to investigate the claims of my faith more fully? Number two, have I met Jesus? And number three, who will I invite to meet Jesus this coming weekend? And the thing that we always leave with the inmates, we say in Carrick's, we say this, number one, make a friend. Number two, be a friend. And number three, lead that Jesus to Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gotta figure out where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to end with a benediction in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immensely more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within and all of us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we will close with faith and praise number 755 where it simply says, God be with you until we meet again. I think Patty, Patty put down, we're going to do verse 1 of that and the chorus.